You're listening to Brave New Words. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... I'm Del. I'm Ross. And I'm Nympha. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be talking about gods and things. Um, so we're going to look at The Trials of Apollo, The Hidden Oracle, uh, which is book one um, for the new series by Rick Riordan, um, best known for his Percy Jackson series. Delicious pantheon fried bread. Um, so uh, we can be found on the internet, which is probably where you got us. You can also listen to us live between twelve and one on FabRadioInternational.com. Uh, you can find us in the pages of Starburst Magazine, where Brave New Words. Uh, you can also find us on the website, and you can find the podcasts there. You can find us on the Wonky Spanner. That spanner is still wonky after all that time. You think they try harder? And you can tweet us. Or using your special tweeting machine uh, on uh, at let's Radio see Bookworm. Radio Bookworm at Radio Bookworm it's been a while uh, <laughs> and you can also find us on the Super Secret Book Club uh, on the Facebooks you can probably find us on Tumblr as well probably we might even still have a MySpace page if you take a wrong turn in a library you may find us there as well <laughs> that's very true if you see Russell Smith say, please say hello and possibly give him some water he's been missing for some time so uh, let's have a jingle <laughs> a lovely jingle lovely jingle I love our jingles they jingle they they do <laughs> um, like the ominous sound of Santa heading towards you the jingle 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 anyway ho 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 oh dear oh god sorry this has nothing to do with the book that we're looking at today but I've just remembered that Neil Gaiman um, oh Santa Nicholas Nick, Nick, Nicholas yes. Nicholas was <gasps> as old as time <sighs> that one um, I love it did you actually see the Christmas card with that in? Dave McKean drew the Christmas, drew oh, the Christmas yes, card yes. with the, the, the poor inside. It's gorgeous. gorgeous oh, God. It's one of my husband's favourite stories, but yeah, you, you said Santa jingling, and I'm like, ho, 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 and I'm like, oh, Nicholas was. Anyway. So, so moving from one mythology to a different one, um, The Trials of Apollo, it's um, the new series that Rick Riordan started in the Percy Jackson world. Something's a mythology? I was about to say, what's this? What? Yeah. Well, it's like sort of not but like there is a mythology around Santa though like nobody really knows where he came from like there's you know some think it's it was the toy maker uh, and and all of that but we don't know for sure anyway yes (laughs) no one tell everyone that Santa's Odin in disguise (laughs) but he has no ravens the ravens turned into reindeers was it like what's the next best Animal that starts with an R. I know. You seem to have only one eye. We're going into like this is just evolving. We've already, already diverged. We're not cheer. off topic. It's the Christmas cheer, isn't it? No, we're not off topic because it is God. Christmas and... happened weeks ago. <laughs> But Santa. But it will happen in more weeks to come. But no, That's but Santa. True. You can't say Santa without thinking Christmas cheer. It's always Christmas Am I right? somewhere. Am I right? It is always Christmas somewhere. So yeah, exactly. Hail so, Santa. Hail Santa. 
Um, so yeah, it is sat in the. That wasn't nice. Don't do that. No. <laughs> Sorry. Santa, help. Sorry, you. carry on then, folks. Yes, I have Sorry. a book. I don't want to talk about it. So, um, the Trials of Apollo. The first book is called The Hidden Oracle. Uh, and it is set in the Percy Jackson world. Now, for those um, out there like me who have read uh, all of the Percy Jackson um, books, including like the different spin-off series that have come out of it, um, Apollo does feature in um, in a lot of of the different books, particularly the second series, The Heroes of Olympus. Um, and um, so, this is set after that second series ends. And um, Zeus is a little peeved off. Um, and as he does, you know, sometimes he's like, well, I, I need someone to blame. I know I'll blame my son Apollo because he was a bit of an idiot. Um, so he curses Apollo to be to sort of become human and be thrown um, back to Earth. So the beginning of the book is Apollo literally falling to Earth and ended up ending up in a dumpster. Um, and he gets out of the dumpster and he's like okay well I mean I'm obviously still the most beautiful thing that ever existed so <laughs> it doesn't matter that I'm covered in dirt and this couple of thugs just basically go to rough him up and see if he's got any money and stuff and he very very quickly realises that um, he's now a teenage boy <laughs> but that's not the worst of it he has none of his powers and he's ugly no Ooh. not Apollo he has acne like he's a proper teenage boy gangly completely graceless and like he's devastated he's like like you took everything away but my beauty <laughs> no um, and he gets saved by this girl who comes to sort of comes to his rescue um, and she's bit of a thug herself um and so the only thing that he can think of is well i have no powers but i'm still a god and bad things happen to gods and sort of demigods that are in the world because obviously the mists let out all of these different mythological beasts that will come and chew your head off um so maybe i should get myself to camp half blood and then once i reach camp half blood um, someone will be able to help me and tell me what the heck is going on in the world. Camp Halfblood being the being training the camp, camp for demi Greek demigods, um, which is um, where the Percy Jackson story sort of also begins um, in a sort of similar way. So, so um, Apollo and this girl sort of get roped into being each other's companions for the journey because she's obviously also a sort of a demigod oh. and that becomes quite apparent very quickly. So off they go to try and get to Camp Half-Blood and when they get there uh, he discovers that a lot of demigods have been going missing and that the oracles of the world have stopped giving out prophecies which is a really bad thing because it means that the demigods have got nothing to do but also that the bad guys can just do stuff without nobody being the wiser and obviously apollo being amongst other things a god of prophecy um he's like well maybe i should do something about this um and so the story goes that 
Apollo as as this ugly teenage boy with no powers embarks on a journey to find um, the last oracle that's been hidden uh, for quite quite some time because it was a bit of a wild one that was too unpredictable for humankind to kind of sort of be able to deal with it but because of that it may just be the only one that survived enough for them to start getting prophecies through again so that they can go and fight whatever it is that's trying to to sort of take over um so yeah um it's 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 so good like <laughs> i i just can't tell you how good it was um the little there's there's a bit of quirkiness about it because every chapter starts with a little haiku because again apollo is the god mm -hmm. of of um of um poetry as well as like the sun and and uh, music and a bunch of other stuff um so the first chapter starts with hoodlums punch my face i would smite them if i could mortality blows <laughs> <laughs> so nice. and, and there's like these little and obviously it gives you an idea of what's coming in 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 the chapter as well but like ode to a hot dog with bug juice and tater chips i got nothing man <laughs> they're just beautiful just beautiful little things every single chapter has the little haiku at the beginning um i mean i know by now that if i pick up a rick Riordan book i'm just gonna fall in love with it because what he does with mythology is just amazing um the the wealth of information that goes into weaving these stories and making them new and giving them new sort of meaning i i just i can't even I can't even <laughs> like it's 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 fantastic um I'm always up for more Percy Jackson stories and he does feature in the first um few chapters because he does help Apollo even though they don't have a good history from the other books um get to Camp Half-Blood um and we also get a bit of information about what some of the other characters are doing um that you, we've met either in the first Percy Jackson series or in the Heroes of Olympus series, which is also incredibly good, um, and um, it's it. I just I love how he finishes every series, and you've got a complete story, but there's always something like oh, there's this prophecy that we heard at some point that you kind of sort of forget about it, and then all of a sudden there's a second series, and that's the prophecy that's become relevant at that time. And there's this new massive adventure going on. Um, I I really loved it. L loved this book so much. Um, I loved how he took this really old, obviously millennia old god, put him in a teenage body. But obviously his mind still wanders to bigger things. So there's um, a lot of nods to um, the uh, mythology of Apollo. And there's um, a beautiful... Um, sort of chapter where he's remembering his loves and the people he's loved throughout his immortality and he talks about um um Daphne and how obviously that all went really wrong and how he really loved her but obviously he made some wrong choices um and then you also have his kids because all of obviously Camp Half-Blood has um sort of houses for each of the major gods um where their ch children go um obviously demigods 
um, children of gods and human beings. So he has a bunch of kids there. Uh, but oh, obviously, they're, they're, these are these his, his children. Um, but he doesn't have the appearance of the father and he doesn't have any of his powers. And he's powerless to help his kids. And at some points that's sort of developed really well because you feel like he's a father even though he doesn't look like one even though he's not what he was when these kids were conceived he still wants to help them and protect them and it's it's just really really well written and there's so many layers to the story which is again something that rick riordan does really well so he takes a bunch of teenage kids uh, and just goes out into the world in these amazing adventures and throughout you learn you know about death and love and life and dreams and what you want out of your life it's such beautiful sort of coming of age stories um and it's interesting to see a coming of age story from a being that has come of age quite a long time yeah. ago uh, so it's a really interesting take it's it's interesting because the the way i've always taken apollo as a character in in mythology is that he's the least magical of all the gods because he's really good at everything he does or he's supposed to be really he's supposed to be perfect yeah if you see what I mean so it's like it, it, it's essentially he is the Batman um, in this sort of uh, it's not <laughs> he's not because like he, he can't no I don't agree because he's completely the opposite like he's Superman oh no okay no I see your point so he's sunshine and goodness uh but then he's got there is a dark side to him as well and it mostly comes out when when he falls in love because mm -hmm. most of the tragedies around Apollo revolve around his lovers and how he can never get it right you see this is this is kind of my angle is for that the Batman bit it's it, still not Batman it's it, Superman it, it, no he is Superman he's, he's unflawed but I always saw I always, I always saw him as the perfected rather than the born perfect mm. it's like he became perfect he earned his perfection mm. sort of thing so he trained really hard at everything but and the idea of this being essentially Apollo's actual training montage <laughs> where he gets where, dum <laughs> dum 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 Give me that liar. Doom, doom, doom. Exactly. It's like, it's like you've been good, good for so long. Flex, flex. You've been good at this for so long that you've forgotten why. So, so you know, go back to your roots and be yeah. rubbish, and off yeah. you go again. So, it, it may, pretty much in the first in the first couple of chapters, it's like, well, my dad does that a lot. He just decides, you know what? I'm upset now. So you're gonna go and be mortal and do a bunch of like tasks to remind you that I'm still the head of the family and, you know, and that there are more important things than how pretty your hair looks today. Um, so he's like, oh, I've got this. It's fine. Like, I've done I've done this before. And then realises that he's taken away his powers. So, like, whilst other times he's gone there, and yes, he's mortal, but he still has, like, extraordinary strength mm. or his cleverness or his ability to, like... Um, recite the most beautiful poems and melt people's hearts that's all gone so his haikus are awful <laughs> um, and and his poetry is awful he can't play um, like as well as he could he's not physically sort of impressive there's nothing about him that it's him and it's completely starting from the bottom and having to 
realise who he is and what his strengths are once more, completely from nothing. I have to say I have a terrible thing when it comes, when people mention Apollo, because I'm... I mean, this doesn't come up when I'm talking in the show, but I'm a big fan of space, vintage space and space travel and all the rest of it. There is no, a speci- we didn't know that. There is a specific term for when... Um, uh, in NASA, for when everything's aligned... So when you've got all the kind of points are aligned correctly and all is correct, all the balls are aligned. So the moon missions, it's part of the moon mission. They said it. You can check the records. They said all balls on Apollo, which means everything works and everything is fine. But their signal is all balls on Apollo. And I just occasionally, every once in a while, when someone mentions the god Apollo, my brain goes, all balls on Apollo, which means something else entirely. Uh, so I'm now imagining, like, poor Apollo sitting on his chariot, and suddenly, out of nowhere, like a million balls just get thrown at him, and he's like, God's sake, not again, NASA, not again. My sake, wouldn't it be? <laughs> oh, bless your innocent and sweet mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, Diverting from <laughs> just, just from completely our sort of like gliding over that, um, Edward. We've corrupted the booklet. What since you've been away? <laughs> well, yeah. Also, it would be this. Anyway, moving on from those shenanigans. Swiftly. <laughs> so, so it, it's basically another recreation um, novel. Does it? Feel, does it feel like a comfortable shoe in the sense that... Oh, God, I... absolutely. And sometimes you need that comfortable shoe, which is why I said, you know, if I pick up a book by Rick Riordan, I know exactly what I'm getting and I know I'm going to love it and it's going to be beautifully written and really interesting and make me think, because sometimes it's nice <laughs> to think, <laughs> um, and and I know I'm going to love it. And it's it, it, every time, like, I've not picked up a book and gone... he's done better he just his game is just completely on top all of the time what pantheons has he done so far so so far we've looked at uh, the Greek pantheon in the original series the Greek and Roman pantheons in the follow up spin off where you can still see Percy Um, uh, wait a minute Greek and Roman pantheons that's Mm -hmm. cheating no it's not (laughs) and it's done really well and interestingly so yeah, uh, it's it's worth picking that up, and he's uh, started. I think book two of his Norse um, saga has just come out, and is the Magnus Chase story. And again, it's still the same world, um, and the character is um, cousin of Annabeth Chase, who is the main heroine in mm-hmm. the Percy Jackson series. Um, and then he's done the Cain Chronicles, which is the Egyptian gods. Again, same world. And there is actually a lovely crossover with three short stories that are um, collected in a, a little book that came out as little uh, online novellas and then they were published as a one book. Um, and that's Percy and Annabeth meeting the um, the um, the Cain brother and sister um, and going at different times into adventures and then coming together for one last adventure. Wait a moment. So... Wait a second! Yeah. We've got all these half-bloods. Yeah. And they're the spawn of gods. Mm-hmm. And we've got... Not... The... not So, every pantheon works slightly differently. Right. So, for example, the Egyptian pantheon, it's not about 
gods procreating it's about them being it's a bloodline going back to the pharaohs right. and the times of ancient egypt um we all know that the greek and roman pantheons just have it on with the mortals all the time so that continues in modern time and the norse ones also have indiscretions so again it's bloodlines that have trickled my, my question is this bast mm. yes cat god she's amazing but also a cat yes which therefore means that there's half-blood godling cats there isn't because they don't come from her it's the pharaohs not the actual gods and the, but basically <laughs> i know i'm sorry Super there are kitty. there are no half kitten um, demigods that would have been absolutely hilarious and cute but no it works slightly different for the for the egyptian pantheon um and it's basically the gods in egypt inhabit the pharaoh and that was a uh, thing which, yeah, yeah. so their blood is special and so these um the the the, the not called demigods in in the egyptian stories it's a different thing Completely. Oh, um, oh God, I'm going for my, my, my cult Greek, so I'm not even going to attempt it, to be honest. But um, it's a beautiful... So the, the crossover stories between the Cain Chronicles and the Percy Jackson um, books um, are incredibly clever, because obviously, can you tell me, Edward, um, what united Greece and Egypt at one point? Trade, mostly. That's, one even... person who went and conquered half the world. Oh, would that be that Alex chap? Uh-huh, the, yeah. Yes. So what he's <laughs> done? <laughs> what he's done is basically created a mythology that unites it, and historically referring back to Alexander and Alexandria and everything that happened, and the fact that obviously um, at one point Greek and Egyptian sort of merged into a strange language and there is a an occult um strand um that spawned from that that uses greek and and hieroglyphics oh cool so that's all used in that story and it's really really interesting but yeah i love it i love it (laughs) so the the new apollo story because you're saying it's it's essentially a new story sto- from yes. that world yeah so could you read that one having not read the others you can um i'd say you could miss some bits but it's mainly um attachment to characters as opposed to oh i need to know everything about this yeah so um it's like i'm reading the story and someone mentions this cool thing you can go and read the cool thing the cool thing is, exists um but you don't need to. You can just start this one as the first book uh, and get into this series and read however many books. Usually he writes about four or five in a series. Okay. Um, so so somewhere there is a complicated timeline that tells us that this adventure is happening at the same time as that adventure. And um, the way he writes it is they cross paths during so adventures. The, these are so far, um, Percy Jackson ends. Yeah. And then the Heroes of Olympus series is after all of that has happened. Yes. So there's no crossover. Then um, there's this one and Magnus Chase that seem to be sort of happening at the same time. Which okay. is why I think they've been published as they are. Yeah. Um, because there's stuff going on with the Norse and Annabeth is away for a 
period because she's with her cousin um and it seems to reflect in the trials of apollo that she's doing some other stuff um i'm kind of hoping that that means he's gonna get a series out where annabeth is the main character as opposed to one of the many mains um and then the crane chronicles is again at some point between sort of like the first series and the second series and then it crosses over for a bit in the short stories um and in the short stories there are um little hints at what percy and annabeth have gone through so that you can put them in the right timeline without too much faff but if you don't know and you go and read the Cain Chronicles, which is the three books, you can read those books and you don't need to know anything about the Percy Jackson world to enjoy that as a full set. You can read Percy Jackson and just enjoy it. You can read the Heroes of Olympus and just enjoy it. You can start reading these and it's absolutely fine. I would still recommend that you read them in the order that they were published because it just makes the world that much richer. Okay. I do, I do, I do like it when, it just in generally in fantasy novels, when you have stories that happen within the same world, and then you kind of can look at one side and look at the other side and go, neither of these are the stories I expected because there's another story in the middle between the two mm-hmm. accounts, which is something else. Robin Hobb does that quite a bit actually. Mm-hmm. Um, the the live ship because the stuff that happens in the live ship traders is happening at the same time that stuff's happening elsewhere, and then occasionally you get little glimpses and you go, oh, that's not what they think it is. And that's not what I thought it was. I've got... Um, so I've been reading the Throne of Glass um, series mm-hmm. by Sarah J Maas, which is incredible. And then she started the um, um, Court of Thorn and Roses and the second one's out, Fury and Mist. A Court of Fury and Mist. Um, and I've just discovered that those are in the same world. So I'm incredibly excited to see what... When and if those worlds collect they may not but if they do it'll be incredibly interesting to see how how she's going to do that um and i like that i like having the and all of a sudden you realize it's all in the same place and you've been living the story from two sides and eventually you're gonna get this the the mix of the story and figure out the big picture um it makes it really interesting and really exciting to read Especially when it's one of the stories where it's like, these people are the villains. And then you go, no, they aren't. Mm. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, I love those twists when you go, oh. And all of a sudden you realise, no, we are the bad guys. <laughs> I've been rooting for these horrible people without realising <laughs> it all of this time. Well done, writer. Well done. It oh. happens a lot, though, doesn't it? Mm. In kind of literature, we often get these twists. Um not necessarily from the protagonist's point of view, but there are people oh, that we yeah. get to know in a story and then after a bit they're just like, you find out something and they're like, oh my God, I've been playing for the wrong side. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, They do it like in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the amount of people oh, who God, are just yeah. like, like, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'll go, oh God, wait, I'm Hydra. When did that happen? <laughs> uh, Francis Harding has done it several times in her writing. It's something I actually adore about her writing where you suddenly go, Oh, hang on. This is not. This is not the story that I think it is. Mm. Nor is this because you'll occasionally see Cuckoo Song is a good example where you see another character bat- battering past, and it's like you're on a different story. 
this character, if we follow this character's story, then they're having a Edwardian fantasy fairy tale adventure. But they have no idea that the consequences of their actions is causing this story to happen, which is far more horrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and obviously the author's gone, well, that one's more interesting, so I'll tell mm-hmm. that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of I like it when when one character's actions shatter the world, and it's like, oh, I'm rooting for you, and you turn out to actually be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, DC Comics does that quite a bit as well, actually. Well, the first Percy Jackson book is pretty much all about that you know you meet Luke and again if I'm spoiling I'm sorry there's a m- two movies out there's like <laughs> about 20 books you know get on with the program um, so you meet Luke and, and you learn how he's you know he came to have uh, camp half blood with Annabeth when they were really young and they helped each other and love each other and, and he's trying to help and he gives Percy like cool stuff that he can use like his dad's shoes and all of that and is there a surprise oh god yeah so it turns there out there is a surprise it turns a... out Nathan Fillion's his dad oh yes Nathan yeah oh yeah hang on hang on how did he get out from space I'm confused he's Hermes he can do anything yeah. oh he hang on so, so Mal from Firefly is Hermes yeah mm-hmm. And he runs UPS. Uh, he runs UPS. And also Castle. Yeah. yeah. So, so he, when he's not running around, he's also writing frightening crime. Yeah. yeah. I have this theory that Nathan Fillion plays Nathan Fillion. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's like always well, Nathan Fillion. Well, that's why it's funny so enough, hot. <laughs> there's, there's the scene where you see, you meet Hermes, and he's like, he, you come through, and there's all of these mythological creatures working in the back, getting all these packages to, you know... Utah and London and Hades <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> and he's like oh um, he's playing himself because he's amazing and he can just do it and he's talking to them and they're like oh your son and he's like yeah my damn you know there's a bit of a I really feel for that kid and I'm sorry that I wasn't there to sort of like help him out and all of that and then he gives them this thermos uh, which has um, a wind trapped inside that they will obviously further on need to get themselves uh, out of the sea of see monster. This movie. It's very enjoyable. It's it's adorable. Yeah. I love it. And what he does is he gives them this thermos and he's like, oh, Her- Hercules's labours or something. I can't remember. And it's like greatest series in the world. So of course, cancelled. Oh. <laughs> and you just go, I love you, Nathan. I love you. I feel for you. It's amazing. Why? What? What series was Nathan Fillion in? That was ah, uh, that was cancelled. God knows. He's been in so many, like so I guess. <laughs> but yeah, it's just so like me and Gareth want to see it at the cinema because, like I said, I'm a big fan of the yeah. of the world. But actually, um, actually, there's another series because well, right, I'm going to horribly upset everyone um, Firefly yes uh, Miles a bad guy he is he's an anti-hero he's an anti-hero no he ruins an entire government he collapses an entire government over a scandal his yeah. name is Mal as in malicious Mal means bad yeah he's, he's but, it, it's no but it, it, he ruined a government that needed to be ruined, ruined. ruined. it wasn't working he, oh so we don't working. know that he did well, well, yeah. a we don't know what he did b we so don't... we know that he uncovered problems that could potentially mean that that government could get better 
But do we know that he's because I, Mar- I know him. Mar- Mar- he Mar- can't be bad. He wears a pretty floral bonnet. Mal lives on the fringes <laughs> of society. He doesn't read, you know, the Alliance Times. Maybe it's been in the Alliance Times. No. Maybe he's maybe the, this particular version of the information. Edward, there's, they're Edward. not saying anything about it though, are no, they? they are. Edward, so, there yes. is nothing you can say that will convince me that Malcolm Reynolds is a bad guy. What nothing. I, what I find interesting about Firefly, I, you know, taking my tongue out of my cheek. One of the things I find interesting about it, though, is that they are essentially written as villains who think they're heroes. They're space cowboys. They're space yeah. cowboys. They 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 they're written as because clearly they've sat down and gone. We can tell the story this way, and it's like the the description of the world itself has no nuance to it. It's a very simplified version of clearly what happened mm-hmm. clearly there's much more there but they don't have the education to explain it to you so you don't know a vast chunk of the firefly world we oh, no. practically know nothing about the alliances you know what? We do. there we... is a reason and it's because fox cancelled it no well, well, i don't think it i is. don't think we ever <laughs> i don't told. think it is no. there's things we don't know about the characters that oh, we yeah. spend all that time with like there's there's entire stories that mm. we we well, this is why the graphic novels happened because he's like, "Well, I can't tell you. The, I've given you the movie, and I've sort of given you uh, an ending that is satisfying. But actually, there's so much that you don't know. So here's a whole volume about Shepherd Box life. Mm. But I don't want that. To well, you ex- don't. No, but to an extent, even if even <laughs> if they made six series, there's. I don't want to know the full Shepard's book story. I want the mystery. It's one of the problems with mm. Star Wars movies, is that the Star Wars prequels, as soon as they start saying, well, this is when Darth Vader had pimples. And you're like, I don't care. Darth Vader, Darth Vader was a scary badass. You, you see, we have very point. different... I, I love it. I, I love seeing all of that. Because it doesn't ruin the mystery for me. It just adds a completely new layer of emotion. And I just love it. I just I want to throw myself into like the, all of these characters' stories and just just read them all and know everything about them. I am in the middle. <laughs> of course you are. All right. <laughs> I, I, I I I like my mystery. I don't. I don't. Thing is, I like my mystery, but I also want my mystery to actually be a mystery. I want to believe somewhere that someone has written down. You know, Luke is Vader's father. Sorry, Vader is Luke's father. That was a twist. Yeah. Um, You've uh, ruined it. You've ruined it for everyone. We're really sorry we gave you this big spoiler. Hard 40 years. Um, <laughs> but My yeah. daughter is seven. She hasn't watched them yet. Is there time travel in Star Wars? I don't think there is, you know. No. Time travel. I mean, no. Anakin doesn't no. have a father. It's possible. What you just said is correct. Oh goodness, no! That's oh my goodness! <laughs> it was a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far, far away. away. They didn't have time travel. No. Not back then. Nah. But they will have it. Nah. <laughs> We're not going there. <laughs> or maybe no, that's no. the level of Jedi that he's reached. He just didn't oh, realise. And then he so what you're there. saying is, Gallifrey is a colonised Jedi planet where the Jedi's have just now mastered time and space. <laughs> Oh God! Time Lord's lightsaber. I broke it for you. There you go. No, because it would be it would be a Sonic 
saber, surely that's less interesting because you want a screwdriver. But like, you get lasers better like than Sonic. as they abandoned sort of like you know blasters and all that for the more elegant weapon. Eventually, the more elegant weapon became well. We don't need a weapon. We need you know some sort of tool that represents that we've evolved. Get so like say we got shorter and shorter, and now it's just. So yeah. I mean, it still lights up at one end, and it's so still it a must be. Yeah, it's, it's still a pointy thing as well, and it still gets you through doors. Yeah. So there you go. But, it, but more it, carefully, it is, it is obviously canon now that a lightsaber looks like a screwdriver. <laughs> but you go from a light. We have turned it into canon. We have broken two franchises simultaneously in like less than a hundred words. You just say turning it into canon, by which you mean what you've done is you've melted it down, uh-huh. turned it into a cylinder, and then packed it full of explosives. Yes. Like, that, that's yeah. not. <laughs> but it's totally how it works. It I is because it. we lit the fuse and ran away. <laughs> We've done it. <laughs> Isn't that you can't great... get it back Think in. Think about that, dear listener. <laughs> that Think is, about that. That's a good metaphor for the creative process, actually. So what I've done is I've, I've taken all the things you love and I've set fire to them, <laughs> and, and then, now they've melted, and I've buggered off. <laughs> and now I've created this thing that's extremely dangerous, and I pointed it at you. Bye! <laughs> Again, ideas. Mm-hmm. Ideas are fairly dangerous, especially when they're pointed at you. Mm-hmm. Like, really, though, like, truly, do we know where Gallifreyans came from? Yes. Where did they come from? Um, Gallifreyan Time Lords came from Vassalon. Gallifreyan, I uh, really don't. Uh, Vassalon. <laughs> really don't. I'm waiting for the point where you'll go, and then I don't know, and then I'll go, Jedi! Yeah. No, they're... Vassalon um, Omega. They weren't one of the very first races, but they were the earliest race to create time, so they evolved themselves on Gallifrey, which is, the, there's a whole thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh, Jedi. No. <laughs> <seriously>. No. <laughs> right. No, seriously, let's I move think, on. I think we were talking about... Listeners, mythology. listeners. You win this argument for us, will you? <laughs> At Radio Bookworm. Yes, uh, just tell us why Ed is wrong and Nympha is right. Uh, Jedi! Or Jedi Time Lords, or Time Lords Jedi. Seriously, I we don't care. But do tweet in. Uh, I'm pleased to But we do, it. we do. Um, but yes. So, have you read any like really good um, mythologically inspired books lately because I keep hearing and I know it's not a new book but everybody's banging on about the song of Achilles and everybody's like it's the most amazing book so I've put it on my Christmas list and I'm looking forward to it because most of my friends are like this is incredible so did you get it then as we're now in the future oh no I didn't get it actually it's after Christmas what do you reckon did you get it did you not get it I didn't get it okay so I need to get it um, I, I think we talked about this a lot in another show but I really like James Lovegrove's Age of Heroes I love his God Punk stuff in general mm. but that's because it's really pulpy stuff pulpy. it's proper it's proper pulpy kind of you know it's essentially Bond style action hero nonsense yeah it just he's thrown gods in there for no apparent reason and there well, is gods are always fun to play with there, there, there is a bit where he's um, on a jog with one of the demigods, one of the characters is on the job of a demigod, and it's like you sit there and you turn the page, and it's like, I'm expecting this to become because it's Greek demigods, I'm expecting this to descend into gay porn at any point. And he kind of veers away from that direction quite manfully, but you're like, 
No, those are my expectations. Yeah. Because it's so well written as a Greek style myth that you're like, I'm expecting brotherly love to, to evolve at this point. Uh, and it doesn't because obviously it's all about explosions. Uh, it's, it's like, <laughs> look, look at the explosions and sudden I'm like, yay. Um, I haven't read any mythology stuff for a while, really. Um, it just It's not, not been intentional. It's just transpired that I went through a massive phase where it just seemed that book after book I read was urban fantasy and then book after book I read was something to do with sleeping or dreaming. Mm. I went through a phase I read the time clock followed no the night clock sorry followed by nod followed by half of dream paris before i worked out that actually dream london did exist and maybe i should read that first <laughs> um, i remember that um, yeah the rage um it's been a while since i read anything I actually you find that you go through phases because i find that i'll go through phases where all i want to read is a certain type of yeah, genre. like I just want to watch read post apocalypse. Yeah, and then I just like I'll I'll it. just want a dystopian young adult, and then I'll be like, actually, I want like something different. I want superpowers, uh, and now I want just graphic novels because, eh. mm. so yeah, I partially read what they send me. But we know that. But there's also there's also that whole thing where I would just go through a binge. One particular, oddly enough, I went for a Wicked and the Divine binge Ugh, recently. So much love. Um, <laughs> totally, yeah. totally in, in 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 the right show as well. It's totally in the right mm. show. It's great. It's a great book. Ugh. I I haven't read the latest one, so don't spoil it for me. I haven't read any of them, so don't. Spoil no, it. Yeah, oh god, they're it, so good. They're really good. Um, Amazing. Who are they by? Uh, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey. Okay. Uh, comic books. Um, they are essentially um, the gods return every hundred years for a couple of years uh, and present themselves as pop stars. No. So this incarnation, they are music superstars. Okay. Um, previous incarnations, they're always something different, but they're always they always burn the brightest. Yeah. Um, and die so young. So the previous incarnation, they were the Byron Shelley. Yeah, kind ah, of, kind of. Okay. It was the 1920s, I think, the incarnation that you see at the beginning, the first. Oh book. yeah, yeah. So you have like these kind of things. So either the the highest minds, or sort of like if they were born in the golden age of Hollywood, they would be Clark Gable and mm. and you know Vivian there's Lee a, and that kind of stuff. There's Maybe. a Byron Shelley spin-off one one-off, yeah, uh, which is done rather marvelously, and mm. you're like. I see what you've done there, but yeah, Lucifer is Bowie. So, so yeah, the the, <laughs> the the present incarnation when you see them, you're like Sekhmet looks like Rihanna, okay, um, and the uh, Baal looks like um, Beyonce's husband, Jay Z. Jay Z, kinda. It's that sort of rapper, yeah, um, style, um, and basically. The stories that the can only like there's only a number of them that are reborn at any given time. I'm trying to remember the name of the god that looks Minerva is Elton John. Yeah, Minerva. Uh, I was groping for Minerva. Minerva works as Elton John though. Pretty much. Oh my god, um Warden is Daft Punk. Yes, Warden is Daft Punk. <laughs> so you, you like so visually it's sure stunning because you look at it and you're like, Yep, yeah, I see what you're doing there and it just works. 
It's perfect. It's worth... I mean, I always go to the music metaphor because the other piece of work that I'm familiar with with uh, Gillen and McKelvey working together, which they do very well, is Phonogram. Mm. Uh, a phonogram is the magic is in the music. It's modern day. Uh, it's a very indie... It's very 90s indie music centred because that's their kind of generation. Um, but it's essentially magically powered hipsters. Um, there's an entire strip but there's an entire story where you know Aha the Aha music video yeah uh, where she because of a magical spell that's cast and she's trapped in a comic strip and she's being chased by bikers because it's Aha and it's got that hole and it's like shards of her childhood that she's being chased by and it's but it's a comic book so it's meta upon meta upon meta very clever but yeah if you haven't read The Wicked on the Divan you need to read it because it's so beautifully written and the artwork is amazing we and it's really clever we the last the first book which is called The Faust Act yeah because <laughs> puns um, <laughs> in, in the old show in we the, did yeah we did yeah um, but yeah so all of these super mega stars and um, they're all sort of like they're mega, but they're also they also do like these pop up shows now and then where people just go and they're these mystical experiences. Uh, yeah, it's really you can get in touch with the divine, which is why they're divine, and it's yeah. how they build their followers. Yep. Shall we talk to a lovely author? A lovely yes. author. A lovely author. Jude Winnick, welcome to Brave New Words. Thank you. It is absolutely my pleasure to be here. Thank you, sir. And um, tell us all about Hilo, please. Oh, I would say where to begin, but I know exactly where to begin. Um, I, I, I would say Hilo. Um, Hilo was born uh, about four years ago when my son was seven years old. Um, and I'd been writing superhero comics for about ten years at that point, including, you know, small characters like Batman and Superman, the Justice League. Um, and he had kind of finally come to the age where he was really interested in superheroes. And he came to me wanted to know if he could read some of my Batman comics, and I had to tell him no, <laughs> because uh, my Batman comics were, well, for older, he was seven, so either for older kids, mostly teenagers and grown-ups. Um, it wasn't that they were super violent, but they were just, just a little bit, I would say, intense for a seven-year-old. So he and I started looking around for what would be a great series for him, for, for a little guy. And the one we landed on was uh, Jeff Smith's terrific series, Bone. Um, and my son just flipped for it. He got all eight volumes of the graphic novel and just, just rifled right through them. And uh, I was lucky enough that I know Jeff Smith. Jeff's been a friend for a long time. So I called Jeff and told him that my son just went crazy go nuts for Bone. And Jeff said, great. And he sent us two gigantic boxes of merchandise hats, posters, action figures, stuffed animals, and my son became a bone super fan. And I got jealous. I really felt that I should be able to come up with something that he loves as much as he loves bone. Because I'm a cartoonist, even though I've, I've done a lot of writing, I've always, I, I, if anyone asks me, what do you do? I always tell them I'm a cartoonist. Um, but at the, at the time, my son has this question. It had been a long time since I I drew anything. So I finally put pen to paper, and I'd say about a year and a half later, out came Hilo, um, which was, I was hoping, an action-adventure story that, that he would dig. How different is it from writing um, a, a, a comic 
aimed at a younger audience and from writing Batman and the like what what did you learn from from writing for DC that you ended up bringing into uh, Hilo? Well, there's a lot of advantages when you're doing your own character. When you're doing your own character, you can you know you can literally do everything. With Batman, the challenge, you know, or any of the superhero characters, the challenge is that you can only really take the story from you know A to B. Batman's always going to be 32 years old. He's never going to leave Gotham. He's, you know, certain characters are never going to go away or die or evolve. Or It's this very narrow piece of real estate in which you're going to write it. So from that standpoint, to begin with, writing your own characters, you're allowed to do whatever you want, which is wonderful. As far as going from writing superhero comics, which were a little more dark and gritty, and I should preface this by saying that Superhero comics used to be for everybody. When I was a kid, I could read X-Men and I could read Spider-Man and, and Batman, no problem. But uh, we seem to have evolved into comics which became just for older audiences. And I am as much to blame for that as anybody. And I mean personally responsible. <laughs> I was one of, the, one of the writers who took comics from being kind of all ages into things which were more crime-oriented, which were a little more mature. We really wanted to be taken seriously, and I think part of that was that we wanted to like really tackle mature issues. Not social issues, just mature issues, you know, things that you would see in a PG-13 movie rather than an all-ages sort of film is the best way to describe it. Um, but I think we kind of lost our way. So finding my way back was, was honestly not that hard. Um, I, I view it more as all-ages rather than just for kids. I did Hilo for the grown-ups as much as I did for the kids. I didn't want moms and dads to be sitting down and having to read this book to a kid and wanting to just, you know, gouge their eyes out or bang their head on the table that this is this is just palpable. This is just so saccharine. It's just too sweet. I wanted it to be fun. I wanted it to be kind of like a Pixar movie. I don't think Pixar movies are actually movies that are made for kids. They're really made for everybody. So that's the hat I put on. I wanted to make one that would have been would be okay for everybody from a seven-year-old to their moms and dads in the 80s it was all about creating comics that were had a more sense of maturity do you think we've do you think now uh in you know in in the 20 teens as it were do you think we've got a, a revolution in comics that are just fun is fun coming back uh i hope so i think it comes in i think it comes in waves i mean i will say this that just in the last couple of years, um, there has been uh, a resurgence, or I don't know, a creation from the ground up, of all ages comics, mostly graphic novels. We're really not seeing uh, the bigger superhero companies kind of embrace it yet. I know they're trying, I know they're talking about it, that they want to do comics which are more for everybody. But I think folks like me who grew up reading comic books then turned around and wanted to share the experience with their kids, and there wasn't a lot there. So it's up to us to sort of make those things. And, I mean, kids get a lot of this kind of storytelling, all-ages storytelling, cartoons, uh, animated features and whatnot, um, elsewhere. They don't get it in print. Uh, it's nice that, you know, we can do it in print. Uh, I mean, I when I first started... What, I mean, forget when I first started. When I was a kid, what I wanted to do more than anything else was to do comic strips. I wanted to do a daily comic strip, which was in the newspapers. And that, it took me actually years to realize that in hindsight, it was also all ages. No one stopped a kid from opening up the newspaper and reading the funnies. 
that's that's what we did. We all did it. You know, I remember my grandfather being a huge fan of comic strips as well. It was it was something we did. Cartoons have always been kind of an all ages affair, and I think it's it's really neat and inspiring that we're kind of getting back to it now. There's a lot of popularity. You know, Raina Tegelmeyer's smile and sisters kind of kicked open the door for a lot of us, and I, I like to think a lot of us are following through. Hilo does seem to have a very strong family theme, um, and it's it's not your typical kind of normal families. They all are complicated and they argue, argue and they're large. Where does that come from? I think the families come from my families. <laughs> I think my family's in plural. Um, I think uh, uh, DJ, who's Asian-American, uh, DJ Lim, who is, who's basically our lead character. I know the book's called Hilo, but it's really kind of told from um, DJ's perspective, kind of in the same way that Doctor Who, in, in a lot of ways, is told from the companion's uh, you know, perspective. But So DJ's Asian-American, as is my wife, and a lot of this is based on her family. Um, you know, even though the, it's about a, you know, a kid who flies around and shoots lasers out of his hands, it's also, it is, it's very much about the relationships they have with each other. Um, I had a lot of fun writing scenes where DJ's family is in the kitchen eating, and it is just like my wife's family. Everybody eats standing up, talking, grazing, and, uh, and kind of talking over one another at the same time. It's, um, it's very loving and wonderfully chaotic, and they talk about food a lot, and they cook all the time, and it's just who they are. Um, and I like that. I like that aspect. And uh, Gina is a little bit like my own family. You know, I think she has issues with her, her mom and dad who are incredibly supportive but also want her to be involved with lots of things. They want her she, – she's able to – she's got a lot of skills. She's good at sports. She's really smart, and they want her to do everything. So I think my folks were a lot like that too. I have to admit I'm a fan of another work of yours, uh, The Adventures of Barry Ween. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, not a kid's book. <laughs> not, not a children's book at all, but they are similarities between the two. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, no, no, there's... there's um, for those playing at home, Barry Ween, it's called The Adventures of Barry Ween, Boy Genius, and it's about a 10-year-old boy who is a genius. He's got a, you know, I, I gave him a 300 IQ, and he pretty much builds things, blow things up, and uses the F word, uh, you know, every, every third word. Um, the whole Barry Ween was born out of that. I, I finished a uh, I finished a memoir, a graphic novel, graphic memoir, I guess, about a friend of mine, Pedro Zamora, who was a an AIDS activist and educator who died of AIDS. And I spent about two and a half years working on that. And when I was done, I wanted to do something that was just a total departure. So I started doing this adventure comic about Barry Ween, who is a genius inventor who gets into all kinds of trouble and curses a lot. Um, and it's, in a way, very similar to Hilo. I, I think the only thing that is actually mature about Barry is that, you know, the language. There's not a lot of violence. There's really no sex. That's really not what it's about. He just curses a lot. And other than that, a lot of the themes are the same. I, I, and, it was, and it happened by accident. Barry Ween, the good stuff for me for, in Barry Ween happened by accident. I created two characters, a little boy Barry and his best friend Jeremy, and then their friendship started to kind of blossom, and it sort of took on this wonderful life of its own. Um, that surprised me. That it was just supposed to be honestly, it was supposed to be stupid. It was supposed to be just this lark. It was just supposed to be this funny thing I did. But having the boys really develop a friendship and care about one another just sort of happened. So yeah, I think for the grown-ups who might enjoy Hilo, uh, 
they might want to pick up Barry Weed too, because that's that's what started it all. Um, and also, you know, I got to write and draw it. That was that's probably the similarities too. There's actually probably some visual similarities because I don't draw that well. Everybody kind of looks the same. My design skills could probably use a polish. Barry Weed does end on a very low note. Um, you're not going to do that to us with Hilo, are you? Uh, I will honestly say yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the sense that um, Hilo self-contains. It's going to be six books, you know, one through six. And with each book, we the story really does progress. It's one of the, the great fun parts about doing this is that if I've really set up a goal for myself is I really want every book to be very, very different. Uh, you know, the first one kind of introduces our characters and they kind of get on our first adventure. The second one, this very big thing happens on Earth where these creatures are falling out of portals and they got to send them back. And, um, you know, they're racing around town. And the third one is uh, one that I mentally always call the field trip because, well, the spoiler alert, you know, they leave Earth and they go someplace else. Um, so each one was about doing something else. So to get back to your point, we'll have a down ending. Not so much down as that things happen. It is, it is, I want to embrace the full drama of what it is to really do a story. So things happen. How would you pitch Hilo to a, uh, to an elderly grandmother? <laughs> I would, I would tell an elderly grandmother one, um, it's cute as a bug's butt. <laughs> as far as the drawings, I draw cute. That's the way it is. I draw like, like the comic strip Peanuts or Calvin and Hobbes. That's for openers. Two, I like to think that's very funny. Um, more so than anything else, I try to write it as a comedy. There's lots and lots of jokes. Um, and lastly, I'd say it has a good story. Uh, it, isn't, it isn't just sort of, well, an expression we use for you know, a one and done. It's not just a very simple story. They're, they're, the characters, I believe, are real characters, have some depth and things are going to happen. Um, and also wonder that every book ends with a cliffhanger. So, <laughs> so once you buy one, I, I hope that the, the ending is strong enough that you want to go on to the next one. And how would you pitch Hilo to, um, say, the executive producer of DreamWorks or Pixar? Well, hopefully they'll have in the next couple of months. Uh, <laughs> I am actually, I am, I am, that is what I'm spending the next couple of weeks doing is working out the movie pitch. And uh, I, I uh, am going to be pitching it sort of in a similar way that uh, this is an, an all-ages action-adventure that everybody's going to like. Um, you know, and also I, I feel like kicking myself in the head every time I think, say things like that. It feels like it's bragging. But, uh, uh, but I like this story. It's, um, it's something that I'm enormously proud of and uh, that hasn't – I wouldn't say it hasn't been, always been the case, but it took me a long time. Uh, I'm 46, and it took me a really long time to remember that this was exactly what I always wanted to do. I always wanted to sit at a table and make up a story and then draw it. For a long time, I thought that was going to be comic strips, and then, um, then you know, I did an animated series for a while, and then I did some TV, and then I wrote superhero comics, and I kind of lost my way from, you know, sitting down at a table and making up a story and writing and drawing it. So... I'm grateful that I finally found my way back. And the fact that I might be able to tell it in another medium would just be gravy. You know, if it ever becomes a movie or a TV show, that would be amazing. Just some silly questions to finish off. Um, Absolutely. Firstly, if you got to rescue one piece of art and that piece of art gets to survive 
beyond the death of the sun, what would it be? Well, I guess it would have to be the first, the first three Star Wars. <laughs> that I, I think that would be very, very important for everybody. Um, you know, it would, it would honestly be a, be a toss-up between, I guess, uh, the first three Star Wars and maybe the first uh, three seasons of Doctor Who after the reboot. I could go on. It would have to be a storage chest. I can't pick one thing. Forget it. It would be a whole just trunk full of nerddom. And uh, three very quick-fire silly questions. So, Simpsons or Futurama? Simpsons. Do I need to elaborate? Cat ninjas. (laughs) I I would say this. I have more friends who worked on Futurama than The Simpsons, but um, The Simpsons Simpsons is in my DNA. Uh, Simpsons first came out when I was in college, and... um, this is before the internet, before uh, you could, you know, buy, you know, VHS and DVD, before DVDs, you could buy anything. And I remember just really clearly a bunch of us in college, you know, taping it on VHS and gathering around and watching The Simpsons over and over and over again. Uh, it's, part of, it's, it's part of me. So, of course, The Simpsons. Ninja Cats or Giant Robots? Giant Robots. I didn't have to think about that. That's just... Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, if you, if you read Hilo, you can see my affinity for giant robots. Giant robots occupy the first book, and I just finished the fourth one last week, and it's all giant robots. Um, I, I have, I'm perfectly comfortable with Ninja Cats, but given the option, giant robots, of course. And finally, truth or beauty? Lord, sir. Oh, oh. Oh, I guess you got to go with truth. <laughs> because you know, I'm going to get I'm going to get as absolute as high minded as possible. That when when you find truth, you will always find beauty. But it isn't true. It isn't true when you go the opposite direction. Beauty doesn't always breed truth. So there, Jude Willink, It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. Likewise, thank you, sir. You take care. Hey! Yay! You're back. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed that. They were lovely. Lovely, lovely, lovely. And I think now we should go to the pub. So you're all invited. We're all off to the pub. Um, we'll catch you there, and it's your round. I've been Ed Fortune. <laughs> I've been Ross. I've been Del. And I've been Nympha. Take care. <laughs>